I will read the entire chapter again. <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar, the king, unto all the people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are His signs, and how mighty are His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and His dominion is from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in mine house, and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid. The thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore made I a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known unto me the interpretation of the dream. Now this Nebuchadnezzar is one of the, the uh, greater kings in all of Scripture. He had to come all the way from Chaldea taking over different nations as he came came up through Israel and uh, took over Egypt conquered Egypt also as, as well as Israel but this is his personal testimony of what God did to him and uh, I've heard preachers argue whether he was converted or not it certainly seems to me that he was converted as he acknowledges God all the way through this and uh, uh, do not uh, think that we would have this testimony in here if he had not given evidence that he was converted I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore made I a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known unto me the interpretation of the dream. Then came in the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers, and I told the dream before them. But they did not make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But at the last Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, talking about Daniel. And before him I told the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, master of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in thee, and no secret troubleth thee. Tell me the visions of my dream that I have seen, and the interpretation thereof. Thus were the visions of mine head in my bed. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great. The tree grew and was strong, and the height thereof reached unto heaven, and the sight thereof to the end of all the earth. The leaves thereof were fair, and the fruit thereof much. And then it was meat for all the beasts, for all the beasts of the field had shadow under it, and the fowls of the heaven dwelt in the boughs thereof, and all flesh was fed of it. I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and an holy one came down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, Hew down the tree, and cut off his branches, shake off his leaves, and scatter his fruit, that the beasts get away from under it, and the fowls from his branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth, 
even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from man's, and let a beast's heart be given unto him. And let seven times or at seven years pass over him. This matter is by the decree of the watchers, and the demand by the word of the holy ones, to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up over it the basest of men. This dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now thou, O Belteshazzar, declare the interpretation thereof, for as much as all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known unto me the interpretation, but thou art able, for the Spirit of the holy gods is in thee. <clears throat> then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, that's the name that Nebuchadnezzar gave him, was astonished for one hour, and his thoughts troubled him. The king spake and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, the dream be to them that hate thee, and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. The tree that thou sawest, which grew and was strong, whose height reached unto the heaven, and the sight thereof to all the earth, whose leaves were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and upon whose branches the fowls of the heaven had their habitation. It is thou, O king, that art grown and become strong, for thy greatness is grown, and reacheth unto heaven thy dominion to the end of the earth. And whereas the king saw a watcher and an holy one coming down from heaven, and saying, Hew the tree down, and destroy it, yet leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven times, seven years, pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times, seven years shall pass over thee, till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree, Roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee, after that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, and break off thy sins by righteousness, and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. All this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee, and they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven years shall pass over thee until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. And he was driven from men and did eat grass as oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. 
<clears throat> and at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding, my mind, returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? At the same time, my reason returned unto me. And for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me. And my counselors and my lords sought unto me. And I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth, and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. Heavenly Father, we are Christians. And surely recognize this as apparently the testimony of a man who was made a believer. For we have found that you are able to bring our pride down to the lowest order. Though our God he will never be killed out while we are in these bodies, yet again and again we remember that our God despises pride and He abases it in His people. Oh, how we thank You, our God, for it keeps us from many, many foolish decisions and needless arguments and many other sorry things. Thank you, our God, for putting this chapter in the Scripture, for causing this man who at the time in that region was the greatest of all the kings and had conquered many nations, Oh, our God, we've seen what is a wonderment to us these last few days when you cause the Supreme Court that I have come to call for the last many years the supremely evil Supreme Court. <clears throat> You've caused them to uh, make uh, a strong ruling. That abortion is not universally legal in these United States. Would that they had been man enough to make it illegal, completely illegal in this country. Without our God, and as we have prayed against abortion these many years, and prayed against the filthy sodomites these many years, we continue to do so for both. Both are great shame 
upon any nation and upon any people who are in favor of it. Lord God, bring, please bring a great revival, a great worldwide revival, our Father. How we would love to see that and be a part of it. But whatever you do, our God, you are our God. And we love your rule, love your word, love your truth, for it is light to our souls. What a joy it is to be able to pray to our God and know that He is hearing and is favorable to us. What a wonderful thing it is to be able to think upon the Holy Son of God coming and joining Himself to the manhood of the man Jesus. And becoming the Savior, the Redeemer of all who believe on Him. What glory, our God, it is to the souls who have faith in Thee. Call many into the kingdom this day, O our Lord Jesus Christ. Get you more glory. May the praises of newborn saints join with that we who have been converted for some for a shorter time, but some for a long time, as their praises and songs of praise rise up to glory today. Hallelujah. Bless your people, our God, wherever the gospel is preached this day. Encourage the hearts of those who are brought low because of the trials of life. Please convert people into congregations. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Our text is verse 35, but I will read verse 34 and 35 again. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored Him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He doeth according to His will, the army of heaven, and among the inhabitants of the earth, none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? And that what doest thou is not in a sense of asking for information, but as a negative challenge to what was going on. None can say that to God. <clears throat> we started on this week before last, if I'm not mistaken, a study in the sovereignty of God. 
And I will remind you that I said as God is the uncaused cause and the first cause in all things, so all His acts are uncaused by anything besides His own will. And I said that the God of modern Christians, modern Christianity I should say, must be compared to the God here revealed. As God is immutable, that is unchangeable, there can be no question of difference between the deity of Old Testament and the deity of the New Testament. <clears throat> These are remarks that I'm making introductorily or introductory to my theme, the sovereignty of God and the same things have caused many to fall from a worship of God as God, that is man's innate pride, the pride of Nebuchadnezzar, his self-sufficiency, his ignorance of God, these same things are in all people by nature. And the first thing that salvation does is to make people know that God is God and they are not God. Whereas they lived as though they were a God to their own selves before. Real Christians are always on her face in humility before the great God of heaven and earth because they realize that He is ruling them and He is ruling all things. <clears throat> may we learn as we go through this, may we learn it by the grace of the Holy Spirit's prompting rather than through the rod of affliction as this one did. What a boon to Christianity if all men recognize that the God of heaven rules in all our affairs. And isn't it plain that God put this in Scriptures for that very purpose, for our to understand that. We worked through our first head, the God that Nebuchadnezzar met. The sovereign God or the absolute authority. And we began in this way, the source of God's sovereignty. We note in verse 35 that all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And He doeth according to His will the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. The source of God's sovereignty is stated in those words, according to His will. Himself is the source of His glorious sovereignty. For who else could make God sovereign? <laughs> Only God can make God sovereign. <clears throat> There's nothing 
to compare with the power and the wisdom of God, both of which are involved in His sovereignty. Ephesians 1.5 and 1.9, it shows that, that God planned with Himself. Verse 5, well, I'll read from verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. And in verse 9, having made known unto us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which He hath purposed in Himself. And that will help you to understand why I say that God does whatever pleases Him. God is absolutely sovereign. Nobody keeps God from doing anything. Nobody makes God do anything. God is God. And though it appears that uh, He uh, responds to what people are doing and so forth, we have to remember that God is eternal. God never learns anything because He's always known everything. God has appointed, has appointed that the things that happen in the world and He has made men responsible for their sins even though He has appointed that they should uh, would carry out the things that they do. The source of God's sovereignty is according to His will. Himself is the source. If God the Trinity planned only in Himself, there must not have been anyone else to plan with. And in verse 11, "...in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him." who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. Read that verse over if you've not had it put before you in the context in which I'm giving it to you. Read it over half a dozen times or so. Or read the first 14 verses of this chapter again and again and again. You may come to see that God in a brighter light than you've ever seen Him before. <clears throat> I went on to say that the scope of God's sovereignty is stated here. It is that uh, He is over all the inhabitants of the earth. I have a short list of scriptural references. I won't take time to speak to those because I want to get on down the road. Jumping down now to the second head, a sketch of the sovereignty of God. I'm going to read three lengthy passages. Acts chapter 17 is the first one. Christian faith rests 
on the Word of God. God works in His people's minds and instructs them through the Word of God. The Spirit works with the Word of God. It is His Word. And He makes it to work in us. Beginning at verse 16, Acts 17 and verse 16. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, waited for his company, he had separated from them and went on to Athens and they were to come overland uh, to Athens while he had caught a ship. His spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons. And uh, most expositors say that the term devout persons indicates Gentile proselytes. They, in the Gentiles who had become Jews or were becoming Jews. And in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? Other some... He seemed to be a center forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. They were not familiar with the doctrine of resurrection. And it awed them. They wanted to know about it. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Sounds like a seminary, doesn't it? Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. <clears throat> whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. This is one of my favorite verses in the Acts. Whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is worshipped with men's hands, that is, their works, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. Human blood is different from animal blood. There's only one type of uh, there are many types in uh, working out that blood, but it's the same type overall of blood. It's human blood, unlike any animal blood or bird blood or fish blood and so forth. That they should seek the Lord, if haply, perhaps, they might feel after Him and find Him, though He be not far from every one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. 
For as much then as we are the offspring by creation, the offspring of God, we ought not to think the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, shut his eyes at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. What's that talking about shut his eyes at? It means that he left the Gentiles for 4,000 years to wallow in their own stupidity and ignorance and drop off into hell without sending out prophets uh, to them and uh, preachers to them as has been happening ever since Christ came. Okay? Say, well, why would God do that? I won't say that it's unlawful to the, ask the question, but uh, it's unlawful to think anything, God does anything wrong. I'll say it that way. Whatever God does is right. He is a sovereign God, and whatever He does is right. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art of man's device, and the times of this ignorance, this idolatry, God winked at, literally shut His eyes at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Before this time, before this was written, before Christ came, the people that God dealt with was Israel and whatever people uh, came and sought Him out uh, through the Israelites. Because He hath appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained, whereof He hath given assurance unto all men, in that He hath raised Him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. Well, now we will read Romans 9. Verses 1 through 21. I say the truth in Christ after that glorious passage, that glorious chapter, chapter 8, that glorious passage, which he concludes in 37 through 39. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. He's talking to believers. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, any other creation, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And now, in a more general vein, he begins in chapter 9. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have heaviness, great heaviness, and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. And children, in saying that, he's saying I would trade places with all of the lost Jews if it would 
save them, if God would save them, I would suffer myself to be lost if it would save them. Who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants, and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. And what he's ultimately saying, as I think you will realize, is there's an elect people among the Jews. All the Jews are not saved. There are people, some dispensationalists, that teach that all Jews are saved because they were of the nation of the, of the Jews. That is not so. And that if you read the Old Testament, pay attention to what you're reading, you'll see that they were uh, thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of the Israelites were, that were untrue to God, that did not believe God. Certainly they were not saved. <clears throat> the children of the promise, what is that? The people that believe God's promise and believe God and His promise. That's who the people of the promise are. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand not of works, but of him that calleth. Note that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand. God has an elect people. That's what the word election means in the Bible. All of you who believe on Christ, believe because you were of that election that he's talking about right here. And whoever is ever saved is saved because they were of this eternal election that the Scripture teaches of very straightly and very clearly in many places. It was said unto her, uh, let me give add a little word, it's not because we were anything in ourselves. I know, in most churches they tell you, choose God. Well, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. But ultimately... People choose God because the Spirit of God regenerates them. One of the premier verses of all of Christendom is John 3, 3. Except a man be born again, born from above, he cannot see, he can't even perceive the kingdom of God. That fits exactly with the election. <clears throat> it was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. Many, many, many people will say, that's not right. That's not just. No one, no one, no one has a right to question God's justice. No one. 
You don't challenge God. You believe God and bow to what His Scripture says. There are many millions saying they believe the Word of God. But when they are confronted with this very truth that we're talking about, they don't believe that. Those of you who have been in theological battles with them know that I'm telling the truth. I'm not exaggerating. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. That is, God forbid is the strongest two words that can be used to deny anything in the Greek language. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. You know who he said that to. He said that to Moses. When Moses was pleading for all Israel, pleading that God would save all Israel, God made this statement, this quote. He said, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. He didn't say he would have mercy on everybody. But he does say that he will have mercy on everyone who believes. On everyone who believes. So then, it is not of him that willeth. He makes it stronger. It's not of him that willeth. You've read that before. Go back to the Gospel of John and read the first chapter. So then, it's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. He has raised, he created Pharaoh for the express purpose of showing his glory and ruling over him and over the nation of Egypt and for the Israelite nation that he created out of those slaves. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Now what say then unto me, why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? If God is acting in this glorious sovereignty that nobody can hinder, nobody can stop, why does he blame people for anything? And how are we to answer that? Just like this. Nay, no. Don't ask the question. It's not lawful to challenge God. Nay, but O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? In two of the major prophets, Isaiah and Ezekiel, this thing about we being likened to clay is used. And they used in the same context. The difference between us and God is as much as the difference between us and clay. We're no more as far as our worth to God than clay. What was Adam well what was Adam made of? God took a handful of dirt and he made Adam. Right? Go back to Genesis. 
That's why this is in here. Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? And I'm going to stop reading there as giving you the drift that this chapter 9 is actually the first of uh, all the way to chapter 12, 9, 10, 11 of God's dealing with the Jews since Christianity is breaking out everywhere. And many of the Jews are being converted. Many of the Jews are not being converted. And so uh, it, you should read this if you want the full gist of what he's saying. Read all the way through chapter 11 because that's where he stops this. It's all connected there together. But now, I read part of this. But see God's sovereignty in salvation beginning this time at Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Brethren, moreover whom He did predestinate, them He also called. And whom He called, them He also justified. And whom He justified, them He also glorified. If you're keeping up with what I've said, there is a people that God from eternity chose to create and appointed to salvation. And those people, He sent His Son into the world to redeem so that they would be saved. And He sends the Holy Spirit to each one of them to convert them, to grant them faith and repentance. To grant them faith and repentance. Acts, let's see. Trying to remember. 2, 8, and 9. Sam, what's it, what is it? Is it in Acts or is it Romans 2, 8, and 9? Ephesians, that's right. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 tells us a great deal that goes along with this. I haven't recited that verse in so long. It's gotten away from me. By grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves is a gift of God. Note, Faith is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, God's workmanship, created, we're God's creation, created in or through Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. In other places, many places, we find that faith and repentance are grants from God. They are not works of men. The natural faith that we have is not saving faith. That's why in so many congregations that we've been in, people will, the preacher will call on people to believe and tell them to exercise their faith. And they'll think they exercise their faith and 
after the excitement is over, in just a little while, you don't see them in church anymore. Why? Because a human's natural faith is not the faith of God's elect. If you go over and read in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, you'll see that it says the faith of God's elect. We all have natural faith. Yes, we can all sit on a chair. That's not saving faith. Saving faith is the faith that God gives you so that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you cannot stop believing on the Lord Jesus Christ because that's the kind of faith it is. No one with real faith ever stops believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. The mind may go bad and they forget everything that they ever knew, but still that faith will be in them, latent in their being, because it's a part of their being. Whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. I want you to understand that these two, 28, 29, and 30, these three verses encompass all the people of God. All that ever have been saved, all that ever will be saved, because they are the election. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Who can keep us from being saved? He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. Remember, this is a believer talking to believers. He's not saying this to the world. He's writing it to a church, the church at Rome. And he's writing it about believers. Believers are not in the same case as unbelievers. And unbelievers are not in the same case as believers. How shall we not with Him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Well, anybody can charge us with anything, but it don't stick. Because Christ has paid for all of our sins. And more, gloriously more, God's righteousness has been imputed to the Christian's record. Go back and read in Ephesians chapter 1. Read the first six verses. Christ's righteousness, the very righteousness of God. Read 2 Corinthians 5.21. We have the very righteousness of God imputed to our judicial record. And all of our sins past, present, and future, were paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read that to you so that you know that uh, it is there in the Scripture. You might go away and uh, forget to do it yourself. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. In Him. You know, we have a heavenly righteousness. It's not our righteousness that brings us to heaven. Worksmongers don't believe what I'm saying because they don't understand the gospel. 
It's not your righteousness that brings you to heaven. You who have been struggling for years, I've been struggling since 1965 to live a righteous life, to live a perfect life. And every day and probably every hour, my mind thinks something it shouldn't. And many times I don't know whether it's sin or not. Sometimes it's bound to be sin. Sometimes it's probably not. But sin is sin. What happens to that sin now? The one thing that's honest about real worksmongers is they are honestly but ignorantly telling their people, you have to save yourselves by your righteousness. By your righteousness. No, they can't save themselves by their righteousness. Christ's righteousness is imputed to you. If you've never done it, as I've challenged you many times, go and read the whole chapter on imputation in Romans 4. And learn what the gospel does. In the gospel, Christ's righteousness, just as it says here in 2 Corinthians 5.21, is imputed to the judicial record. It was that way with Abraham, who he uses to illustrate in Romans 4, and it's that way now. Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. I'm not saying and you, Paul takes this up in Romans 3. If you read Romans 3 and 4 together, you'll get this too. I'm not saying, well, we can live any way we want to. No, everybody who really knows me knows that I'm one preacher that really, really believes we're supposed to live righteously. And I've been acquainted with lots of preachers, and most of them think, that I'm a legalist because I proclaim against them, against them letting their women dress in ways to tempt men to lust. I'm, I'm against men being loose in their language. I'm against lots and lots of things, but I trust only things that the Scripture is against. And I stand for that. And I preach that way. And so they call me legalist because I'm condemning things that they're doing that are very easily seen to be against Scripture. No, I'm not saying that we are not to live righteously. We live as righteously as we can. If a person is regenerate, he loves the law of God and he loves the righteousness that the law demands. But he's not looking to the law or his satisfying the law to save him because he knows he can never do that. Only Christ can. Christ satisfied every demand of the law for every sin that every believer ever would commit or ever did commit. Only Christ's blood could pay for that. And only the imputation by God of Christ's righteousness to their judicial record gives them a right to heaven. But still, we love God and we love His righteousness and we strive to live righteous lives. That's the mark of a Christian.
a person claiming to be a Christian who says, oh, well, it don't make any difference. I'll go with the bar. I'm saved. I'm saved. And it don't make any difference if I drink too much sometimes and get drunk and maybe cuss or maybe take a girl out. Or No. Sin is sin. And real believers hate sin and are striving against it. And they try to stay out of situations where the no sin is going to be taking place. <clears throat> what shall we then say to these things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. And then the final three verses that I read earlier. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors, but not conquering by ourselves. Through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, nothing in creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you see, I struggled with that for a long time, for several years, because I did not have a good enough understanding of the Gospel. The Gospel is that Jesus Christ lived to create a righteousness for everyone whom He was going to save and who would believe. A righteousness to give to them. And Jesus Christ lived a righteous life, a perfect life, because He did not have a sin nature. And so He had a righteousness to give. He never sinned. He could not sin. He's God and man. And the God in Him upheld the man in Him. So, oh, they are in union. He is the God-man. So that He never sinned. <clears throat> and then, in His crucifixion, He did not pay for part of His people's sins. He paid for all of His people's sins. Past, present, and future. If there were one sin left, with each believer, there would be no heaven because there would be nobody in heaven. Because every sin is worthy of God's infinite, eternal wrath. You don't go to heaven just partly saved. You go to heaven on Christ's perfect righteousness and His sin atoning death. And it's time for me to close. May God bless His Word. Amen. <clears throat>